right, good morning, Tara. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. All right, so I'm going to be talking to everybody this morning, including all of the kids in this room. Yep, talking to you, kids. So, and I want you to know that about a third of the way through the message, we're going to have a little visual demonstration up here. And if you'd like to, if you're a kid, if you're not a kid, you want to get closer so that you can see it, come on up. I'll let you know when. Not yet, not yet. We conveniently have all these chairs right here available in the front. So hold up on that, and I'll let you know when it's demonstration time. But until then, we're going through Hebrews. And we've been learning so far that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That means he's better than even all of our favorite Disney movies. Is that true? Favorite, he's better than all of our favorite books. He's better than all of our favorite activities. He's better than our favorite people or our favorite things. He's better than anything in the past or the present or the future. Jesus is better. And in today's message, the title of the message is Better Human. In fact, Jesus was the best human who's ever lived or will ever live. And that's really good news for us, that Jesus was the best human who ever lived. And we're going to see why in this passage today. Jesus is better. He's the best human who ever lived. And we'll talk about why that's really good news for us. Here's the main idea for the passage today. The main idea is this. Jesus is our high Priest, And I have in parentheses here all I want you to know about what that title high priest means today. We'll get into more of that later. But it means he is our representative to God. Jesus is our representative to God. What he says, what he does, represents human beings to God. And that's really good news for us because he was the best human who's ever lived. Also fully God, and I'll, I'll explain more of that as we go. So for the roadmap today, we're going to talk about two directions, two directions for the message. First, Jesus was chosen to be our representative, and we read about that in verses 5 through 6 in chapter 5. Jesus was chosen or appointed to be our representative. And then secondly, he wasn't only chosen to be the representative, as in it just happened immediately. He had to become that representative for us. He became our representative, and we read about that in verses 7 through 10. So that's the direction. Jesus is our representative. He was chosen to be our representative, and then he became our perfect representative. That's the direction for the message. So first, Jesus was chosen to be our representative to God. That's in verses 5 through 6. And I just I want to point out two simple truths in verses 5 and 6 about Jesus being chosen to be our representative. The first truth is the humility of Jesus, and then secondly, the honor of Jesus's unique role. So the humility of Jesus we see right there in verse 5. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest or our representative, but was appointed or chosen. He was chosen by God the Father, to be our representative, to represent us to God. So, 
Why does that speak of the humility of Jesus? Well, because the most perfect human who's ever lived, not just human, right? Fully God, fully human, 100%, fully God, God the Son, was appointed or chosen to be our representative. It says he didn't exalt himself. He wasn't proud or arrogant to appoint himself as our representative. He was chosen for it. We see the humility of Jesus. He submitted to the will of God the Father to be our representative. So that's amazing, the humility of Jesus. But then secondly, we also see in verses 5 through 6 the honor of Jesus' unique role. Here's what it says. So he did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What's happening here? The author is combining two psalms, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And he's going to keep coming back to Psalm 110. Two other times, he will specifically quote it, and then he'll allude to it eight times, more than, by far more than anyone else in the New Testament. He's crazy about Psalm 110. And the reason for that is showing the unique role of Jesus as the high priest or the representative of his people. So he combines Psalm 2, which has to do with the fact that he's the king of his people, but not just any ordinary king. He's a king who reigns eternally over not just one nation, but over the whole world, all nations of the world, the unique role of Jesus as king of creation, king of all the world, all nations. That's Psalm 2. And then Psalm 110 He's also our representative, our high priest. But he's no ordinary high priest. Just like he's not any ordinary king, he's no ordinary high priest or representative of us either. He comes from the line of that hard word to say, Melchizedek. And if you want to hear more about him, wait till we get to chapter 7, because there's a lot in chapter 7 about that. But the point is, he, has, he was appointed to be our representative. But we see the, the unique role of Jesus as high priest, as representative of humanity. He's the king. He's also the high priest for his people. So that's what we see in verses five through six, the humility and the unique role, the honor of the unique role of Jesus. But that gets us into this next part. Not only was he chosen to represent human beings before God, it didn't happen like a zap. He had to He had to become our perfect representative. And that required a life of obedience, a perfect life of obedience to God. And then dying to pay for the sins of his people, the sins of the world. A perfect life and a death substituted for his people before he was risen from the grave. So he became our perfect high priest. And we see some of the struggle of that, of him becoming. It wasn't easy for him to become the representative of humanity. He became it by his obedient life, by his obedient death. And we read about that in verses 7 through 10. But in order for me to teach this in a way that I hope you will all remember and that our kids will remember, I would like to do a scientific experiment. So, if you would like to, we have all these wonderful open chairs right here, which you can come on down, price is right, right over here, if you'd like to watch it. Yeah, love it, love it. 
Also, you may or may not be given something if you're over here, just saying. Just throwing that out there, little gift, okay? Because what, what might someone who's doing an experiment wear or use? What do you think? A smock. A smock. I don't know what that is, but I'll, I'll look into getting one of those. It's like an apron, okay. I don't have one of those. But I do have, I do have a safety jacket. So this is pretty, pretty, a lab coat, right? That's probably the more official name for it. I did not unbutton it, which I probably should have done. So also, just so you know, this experiment, I'll fix the mic, don't worry. There we go. So this experiment was Mrs. Summer's idea. Do you guys know Mrs. Summer? Yeah, great idea. So I can't take credit. If it goes really well, it was her idea, we'll give her credit. If it does not go well, it's definitely my fault because she showed me how to do it and it worked great when she did it. So I'll find a way to mess it up probably. Anyways, so what else would someone need, like a mad scientist might need to uh, be ready? Goggles, oh my goodness, yes. Okay, gloves would have been a good idea, I forgot those. But safety goggles, lab coat, all right? Now we're ready for the experiment. But even though you don't need these, what if you guys got goggles too? What if you got safety glasses too? So I want to hand these out. Yep, just kind of pass them around, pass them around. So here's the deal, we're going to put on our safety glasses. I'm actually going to put the box down. So grab them, spread them around. All right. We got our safety goggles. I probably could have done that at the end, but that's all right. All right, once we have our safety goggles, that's true, you can only see pink through the pink goggles. You see black? What do you see? A tint of yellow? Okay, all right. All right, we back? You guys ready? All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're going to talk about how Jesus became our perfect, our representative for humanity by his life and by his death. So what I want to do is, I want to point out what these bottles mean, because you guys see these bottles? They're just right here. This first one, what does that say? Us. us. Who is us? us? Us. Yep, you and me, everybody in this room, but everybody in all of humanity, it's us, all of us, all of us, absolutely, okay? Everyone who's ever lived, every human. So, what does this one say? Sin. Yep, what's that first word? Temptation and sin. So let me, let me tell you what these words mean, okay? Temptation is when we are enticed or allured or persuaded to sin. I haven't described sin yet. But temptation is when we are allured or enticed or persuaded to do something wrong, to, do, to, to sin, okay? Enticed, persuaded to do something wrong. There's nothing wrong with temptation in itself, as in we get thoughts about doing something wrong or saying something wrong, and we get those thoughts. But if we don't do it, there's nothing wrong with temptations. Jesus was tempted, right, in every way. Remember last week, June spoke about that? Every temptation, he experienced that. But what he never did was sin. What is sin? Let me tell you what sin is, okay? Sin is every thought, every word, Every action, everything we do or don't do, that is 
disobedient to God. You got that? Every thought, every word, every action or lack of action that's disobedient to God. You have a question. Well, not question. Statement. Beautifully said. Going against God's law by commission or omission. Lack of doing something. Beautiful, beautiful. So that's temptation and sin. So that's what this bottle, middle bottle, represents. Okay? Nope. And then we have this last bottle, which represents, what does that say? Jesus. Jesus is God. God the Son. The second person of the Trinity. He's God. But he's also fully human, right? He became like one of us, fully human, the God-man who came for us, right? Our Savior, our Lord, that's Jesus. And that represents this bottle, okay? So what we see is both of these bottles are, they look clean, right? Unstained. This is how God made us to be. But because of something called the fall and something, something called sin, when we face temptations, okay, when we face temptations, what happens? What happens when, yeah, so sometimes, sometimes we don't always, we don't always do the right thing, right? But before we actually get to that, I want to talk about Jesus, because that's what we see in this next part of the passage. In his obedient life, it says in verses 7 through 8, in the days of his flesh, like when he lived on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. That means earnest prayers. He prayed a lot. He prayed earnestly. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So can I ask you a question? So Jesus prayed a lot, right? He talked to God. Why do you think it says sometimes when he talked to God, it was with tears and with loud cries. Any idea? Why would he pray crying and with loud cries sometimes? Do you have an idea? Happy cries. So sometimes maybe it was happy cries. Yeah, sometimes we cry not because we're sad, but because we're really happy and grateful. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Let me give you another reason why sometimes when he talked to God, it was with crying and with, and with loud, like shouting out to God. He was praying, yeah. And sometimes it was really difficult for him to do what God wanted him to do. Life was hard for Jesus. Is life hard for us sometimes? Yeah. And sometimes for Jesus to do what, God, what God's will, what God wanted him to do, sometimes when he faced temptation, he wanted to give into it. He wanted to take a shortcut. He wanted to not do what God wanted him to do. And so he would cry out. He would let God know how he felt. Right? Sometimes he would cry and he would, he, would, he would very loudly talk to God about how he felt. And can I tell you, some of the ways, some of the most obvious ways that we grow, that all of us grow in our faith and grow in, in maturity and living a life for God is when God allows situations in our lives or, or, or temptations to come our way and where we have to say, even though I don't want to do this, and even though I'd rather do this other thing, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do what I know he says is right. And if he allows something difficult in my life, this happened for me multiple times, where I have to say, okay, God, I'd rather this, you do it another way. I'd rather something else happen, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to follow you. And that's where we, we can grow, okay, in our faith. So here's the deal. 
when Jesus faced temptation and sin, and let me say it again, when we are enticed or allured or persuaded to do something wrong, that's a temptation. Jesus was tempted all the time. But here's the, here's the truth about Jesus. He never gave in to those temptations. He never said yes to those. So let me give you some examples. He would have been tempted or persuaded or allured by himself or by the enemy of God, right, the devil, or by other people to, for example, lie, to say words he knew were not true, but he resisted that temptation. He would have been tempted to, to steal, to take things that weren't his, but he never gave in to that temptation. He would have been tempted to, here's one, dishonor his father and his mother. Have you ever thought about that? No. He would have been tempted to do that growing up. Yep. <laughs> we'll get to that. But he never did. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus never gave in to temptation. He would have been tempted to envy, to want to be someone else, or to have what they have. And he never gave in to that temptation. So, I'm going to do something very carefully. With all of these temptations that could turn into sin, every single one of them, they came Jesus' way. Please, Lord, let it work. And what's, what's happening? It's just turning here. Wait for it. Yep. Okay, so we still have the same color. Even though the temptations were coming his way, he never gave into it. It never changed him for the worse. So, amazing. The best human, who's the only one who said no to every single temptation. That's amazing. How about you and I? How about us? Let's talk about us. Can we talk about us? How about when we face some of those temptations, right? to lie or to steal or to dishonor our parents or to be envious or to get mad when we're not supposed to get mad or where when we suffer and we say we blame God for it or we blame someone else or any of those things. What happens when we face temptations? Do we always say yes to God and do it his way and we're always obedient to God? Are we always obedient to God? No, I don't think so. And unfortunately, more than we'd like to admit too. Here's the deal. We face those temptations, yep, and sometimes we do the wrong thing. And do you know what it does to us? It changes us. It makes it so that we can't, what, this, is, this is dirty, right? It's not clear anymore. We can no longer see clearly who we are. Without, without that clear perspective, we don't know exactly who we are, who we've been made to be. We don't, we don't understand clearly who our relationships with other people, right? We were singing about some of that and talking about that. Jesus said something pretty funny once. He said, uh, multiple times actually. He said, before you go and try to take a speck out of someone else's eye, remember that you have this telephone beam, this log, this beam coming out of your own eye. He's saying, we don't see other people clearly for who they really are because we have so many of our own problems and issues and confusions and muddiness and uncleanness in ourselves. And it distorts us and it changes us so that we can't see ourselves clearly. We can't see other people clearly. We can't see this world clearly the way that God's made it. And you know what? We don't even see God clearly. We don't even, we don't even know all the truth about who God is. Sometimes we believe lies about who God is because we're swimming in this. This is who we are. We don't just do this sometimes. Everybody here, everyone you've ever met, everyone you'll ever meet, this is, we are sinners. 
and in need of a lot of help. So, there's quite the, distinct, the, the difference between us and Jesus, right? He lived a perfect, obedient life to God. With all those temptations that came his way, they never turned into him sinning. Him being disobedient to God with his thoughts, with his words, with his actions, or the fancy word omission, lack of actions. He was always obedient to God. And unfortunately, that is simply not true with anybody else. So, what do we do about it? Because here's the deal. If we stay in this condition, we are all in a lot of trouble. So, what's next? Verses 9 through 10, we see the obedient death of Jesus. And and why that's really good news for us. Verses 9 through 10. And being made perfect. Let me stop for a second. Being made perfect. That doesn't mean, what that does not mean is that he was made perfect morally as in he he wasn't that he made mistakes morally that he did sin and no 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 when it's saying he was made perfect it was saying he became the perfect representative that fancy term high priest he became the representative for you and I the perfect representative he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So it says here, he became the source of eternal, that means forever, salvation. That means rescue, deliverance. Somehow he's going to fix that in us, all that sin in us. The, eter- the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So what are we going to do now next with the science experiment? Let me lead up. To- <laughs> you guys have a deal? I'll- let me show you. Let me show you. So because, because here's the deal. The Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, not ourselves, not us, but in Jesus, in his life, and in his death, we are saved. We are made clean. We are made, as it says, righteous. That means right with God. We become right with God because of him, because of his death in our place. Because, listen, every time Jesus said no to temptation and yes to God throughout his whole life, Every time he did that, that was preparing him. He was getting stronger to be able to one day say the hardest no to temptation, right? Because when God asked him to die for our sins, do you know what Jesus said? Was that easy for Jesus to just say, you want me to die for the sins of the world? Okay, I'll just do it right away. Is that what he said? No, no. Is there any other way? Yes. That's an example of the loud cries and tears of Jesus. He said, Lord, if there's any other way. And yet, you know what he said next? Not my will, but your will be done. He still said yes to Jesus, to God the Father, even though he really didn't want to. It was really, really difficult. And because of that, because he died for our sins, we can be right with God. He who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness right with God. So when we are in him, when we put our faith in him, we can be saved. So here's the deal. Here's what I'm doing next. Anyone know that was coming? This is us, right? When we turn to Jesus, what happens? 
Man, it's not getting dirty at all, is it? I got to stop because it's going to flow. All right. Here's the deal. Is that dirty? No. Right? No. When we are in him, we are forgiven. We are made clean and right with God. And we don't need to worry about God judging our sins and our mistakes. This is how much he wants to be with us. That he was willing to live a perfect life to represent us, to die in our place, a representative for us, and to be risen from the grave. You know, Easter's coming up, Good Friday, then Easter, we're going to talk about that. And so when we're found in him, we are clean and forgiven. So here's the thing. Does that mean that when temptation, when, when we are persuaded or allured to disobey God, does that mean that even though we trust Christ, that we always do the right thing now? No. We still mess up all the time. And yet, we are given the opportunity to say no to temptation and yes to God because of Jesus in us, because we are found in him. We can live a life that's pleasing to God as we look forward to the time that Jesus comes back and we live with him and with his people in heaven. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? He's our perfect representative by his life and by his death. Thank you guys so much for paying attention. If your glasses were on, that might have been a little confusing actually because you just see blue and red and stuff. But just so you know, that one's really dirty and this one's really clean, okay? So thanks guys. You can, you can probably yep, go back or stay or whatever. Appreciate it. There you go. You can keep them, yes. Keep those glasses. It looks great. All right, I know, you got it, buddy. I know we were talking to the kids, but that message applies to every single one of us here and everyone we know. And that's all I have for you today. So let me pray for you as we, as we take communion and continue to worship the Lord. God, thank you for the great news that you, Jesus, were chosen to represent us. And Lord, we, we are are hopeless without that. Without your life, without your death, we are lost. We are in that cloud of sin that we were born into and that we choose on our own, not knowing who we are, not knowing why we're here, not knowing and being able to have good, perfect relationships with you, with ourselves, or with others, all of that. It's so clouded and distorted, and God, we still, we still know in part, and we still see in part. But God, you started something. You came and you rescued us from ourselves, from the wrath of God because of our mistakes and sins. Thank you, Lord, that you said no every single time to every temptation. And then, even though you didn't have to, you died on the cross for our sins. And you made us clean. You made us right with God. Lord, would you help us? Help us to not make excuses, but to own the times we continue to make mistakes and to turn to you to run to you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. And thank you, God, for the men, the women, the children, everybody that calls Tara home. Thank you for this family. And Lord, we pray again. I know many of us have been praying this weekend for our women on retreat. Would you help them in, these, in this, last, this last leg of the retreat for them to be present there to show love to each other, to learn about you, 
and even on the drives home, Lord, to come back refreshed and strong, united. Thank you for the gift that we have to be able to do retreats like this, Lord. Thank you for the ideas in the people of our church, like the summers with this visual idea, Lord, for each one of us to see, to have a little better idea of who you are, of who we are, of what you've done. We're all growing, Lord. We all need you as we were singing every moment, every day, every month, every year. We need you, Jesus. And we thank you. Thank you for being our representative. Amen.